If you have your bulletins, you can look with me where I want to go next. Um, inside the bulletin, um, there is a picture of our first fruits board that we had out there, and I wanted to uh, uh, just shout out a praise to the Lord today for those of you that have not heard what the Lord did through all of you and uh, others that may not be here today. Uh, but I wanted you to kind of know, we started with 164 as the number that we had. We owed $164,000 on the, the mortgage. When we started the campaign a couple of months ago, we made our mortgage payments, and then it brought it down to 15697 and you graciously gave through first fruits offerings so far $57,482. Let's give the Lord a hand. Amen? Amen. Now, what we have done is because the bank is in the process of, uh, of redoing that, we were able to coordinate with them. Uh, at that point, we knew we had $55,000 that we had taken in. So we wrote a check for $55,000, which brought our um, mortgage down to around $95,000. Amen? What a great testimony of God's grace. Um, it is so good to be able to share with you God's greatest. And we talked the other night in the finance meeting. Perhaps um, this is, if not the best first fruits we've had, it's the second best first fruits offering that we have received as we have been doing this process um, here at the church in getting this building and getting this building paid for. We are so close and the finance committee is so excited uh, about what the Lord has done through you all uh, this uh, last month. So thank you for your generous giving um, last month, this month, and as you continue to give. All right. Uh, so we are praising the Lord. So this morning I asked Ron not to change the songs because he had already planned these songs. We were supposed to sing these songs last week, and I didn't know how they were really going to fit in my message last week. But when um, I started preparing this week, and he said, should I change the songs? I looked at my message and said, absolutely not, because they really go well with what I want to talk to you about this morning. So uh, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 16. I want you to look at a familiar story uh, of, of Paul and Silas uh, in their um, difficult circumstances of life. And we oftentimes find ourselves sometimes in difficult circumstances of life and we wonder, God, how can you or how will you use this time of my life to glorify yourself in such a way that others will see Jesus through me? And in reading this story, it just excites me uh, to know that even when I am going through the most difficult things of my life, God is doing the most wonderful things around me, and He is doing these things for His glory and for His honor. And so it is in this occasion. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 22. We're going to read through verse 34. So I'm going to ask that you stand. Uh, for those at home, it will be on the, the screen for you. But for those of you here, I hope that you open your Bibles and realize that these are words from the Word of God. And uh, leave some of the lights on, please, so that they can see their, their Bibles. All right, thank you. All right, so in Acts chapter 16, we find, starting in verse 22, And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. 
And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at the midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, and so that the foundation of the prison was shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang into and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and and was baptized he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into the house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all in his house. Father, thank you for this wonderful story of, of tragedy and torment and, 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 and Lord, uh, the opposition against the gospel, but knowing that the gospel will always touch the hearts uh, uh, through God's loving grace and his loving people. Lord, help us to see what might be tragedy, what might be uh, 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 situations and circumstances of distress in our life, but how that you are working it out and working around us to show your glory, your honor and praise. Help us, Father, to ask the most important question. And then not only to ask the most important question, but for those of us today that have already asked that most important question, may we ask the most, second most important question. And Lord, may we find the answers that we need to hear today. Lord, move me out of the way, hide me behind the cross. Let your word speak to your servant and to your people today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. All right. There are several important questions that are being asked around the world today. Uh, Americans are asking, will inflation continue to rise? Will it get any worse? Will, will we be able to afford the things that we need in the days ahead? The United Nations are asking a question, and that question is, will Russia invade Ukraine, and will it happen soon, or can we, can we do something about it? The world seems to be asking another question. The world seems to be asking, when will COVID finally die out? When will it go away? When will we be able to move on with life? The whole world is asking questions. Everyone seems to be asking their own questions. But it seems that not many or no one seems to be asking the most important question of all. In our text today, a sin-hardened pagan jailer Ask the most important question that has ever been asked and uttered in all of history. He went to Paul and Silas and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? If you look at these verses, you'll see that there are some other great questions that the jailer might have asked that night. 
He might have asked, how did all these doors get open? I know that I locked them securely before I went to bed. Or why haven't you all escaped? The doors are open. The shackles have been set free. Why have you not run for your lives? Instead, the Bible says that he fell down at Paul and Silas's feet and asked that most important question. He got to the heart of the problem, which is the heart of every individual's problem, the problem of the heart. And he asked the question, what must I do to be saved? He didn't ask, what must the world do? What must the, the wicked sinner sitting next to me do? What must the rest of these prisoners do? But what must I do? Salvation, my friends, is a personal question that we all must seek. It's a personal answer. It's a response that we all need in our life. Whether we're a child or a teenager, or whether we're an adult or a senior adult, if you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, you need to ask that question, what must I do to be saved? You know, one of our little ones asked that question not too many weeks ago. And she's working on her little book, a book that I give to every new believer to help them walk through the first steps of becoming a believer. And Chrissy came up to me today and said, Pastor, I got something exciting to tell you. I said, what? She said, I got three more pages left and I'll be done. I don't know if it's just because she wants to get over it or, or what, but she was excited. I'm excited. I said, great. Just as soon as you're done, we're going to get together and we're going to go over it and talk about it. Because she asked that question. What must I do to be saved? Today, I want to take the next few moments of our time just to examine that question and what it means to all of us. As we do, I'm going to ask you to, to ask that question personally. And you might say, well, preacher, you know me. I've, I asked that question a long time ago. Great. But I've got a second question I want you to ask. You see, the second most important question, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, in thinking about this, I thought, well, you know, Jesus was asked the question, what's the most important commandment? He said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And then he said, oh, by the way, let me give you the second one while I'm at it. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Well, the most important question that we can ask is, what must I do to be saved? So while we're asking that question, let me give you the, the second most important question that we need to ask. What must I do to help others ask that question, what must I do to be saved? What can I do as a believer in Jesus Christ? What can I do to help others come to ask that question? The passage that we have not only poses the questions, but it gives us some answers as well. The first thing that I want us to look at is what is the motivation behind asking the question? What was the reason that, that, that the jailer came into that room and asked the question? Well, first of all, we see that it was motivated uh, out of fear. He was moved by fear. As a matter of fact, it says that when the jailer woke up and he saw the doors open, he pulled his sword. For the jailer was responsible for the, 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 every prisoner. If any prisoner uh, was to escape, was any prisoner was to have anything happen to them under his watch, his life was at stake. Out of fear for his life, he asked the question. 
the jailer thought that he was going to die. Roman law that said that it, what, what is what would happen if he were to lose a prisoner. It was fear of his own punishment and death that drove him to the feet of the Apostle Paul and, and Silas that night in Philippi. Every person who gets saved comes to Jesus by faith. We can't be saved without faith. But you know what? There are several things that bring us to that place. For all of us, it's different. Some people are brought there because of fear. Some people have heard that, that for the wages of sin is death. And we've come to understand that that word death means an eternal separation, not only the physical death, because we know now everybody dies. But we've come to learn that that means a physical separation from a God who loves us. And we've heard also that, you know, um, preachers have said that there is a hell to shun and a heaven to gain, and, and we don't want to go to hell. So we, we come running down an aisle saying simply, save me so that I don't have to go to hell. Well, listen, if that's what motivates you to come to Christ, I'm okay with that. If, if you come because you're afraid that you're going to die and go to hell, then come. Jesus says, I will save you from that fate. But listen, if you come because of some other reason, come. It may be because you realize for the first time that there's a God who loves you, who gave himself for you. A God who has paid a debt that you owed that you could not pay. Maybe you're coming because uh, you heard and saw in somebody else's life that God he did a marvelous work of salvation in them and changed them. And they're no longer the, the, the heathen, the wicked, the, the, the heartless person that they once were. Now they're a loving, caring, kind, and gracious person. And you say, I want that. Then you come. You ask the question, what must I do? To be saved. Whether you're coming to escape the wrath of God, or maybe you're coming because you've been moved by what Jesus did on Calvary's cross, we all need to thank God that for whatever reason that He uses, what He is doing is an awakening, a spirit within us that says that we need to make sure that we know what do I need to do to be saved. The question the jailer asked was important, but the answer that he received was just as important. You know, we're living in a, in a time when people have opinions. Everybody has an opinion. You see, if I were to stand up here and tell you, well, listen, let me share with my opinion for you as to what it takes for you to get saved, I would tell you, get up and leave. Because my opinion means absolutely nothing. But what I'm not going to talk about today is what is my opinion about what man must do to get saved. I'm going to tell you what God says is the fact about what we must do to be saved. You see, there's a difference between somebody sharing their opinions or their ideas. What I want to share with you this morning is God says what He says is His plan for everyone, for all of us, for anyone. So it's just as important to hear the answer if you hear the wrong answer about how to be saved, then you'll never truly come to know the salvation of Christ. And I'm afraid too many people are hearing a false proclamation of what it takes to be saved. People are told, all you got to do is feel sorry. All you got to do is come to church. 
All you got to do is read your Bible. All you got to do is be a part of a Sunday school class. Listen, none of those things will save you. None of those things. They might lead you to salvation, but they cannot save you. Apart from faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone, we cannot be saved. You see, the Bible tells us that Paul and Silas gave the right answer. And they told him that you must put your faith and trust wholly in none other than Jesus Christ and what he did for you on Calvary's cross. So, the desperate question needs an accurate answer. So what does it mean to be saved? Well, let me give you first of all the definition of saved. A simple definition of what it means to be saved is to be rescued from harm and from danger. Now, if, if any of us have watched TV, rather from cartoons to, to, to movies, we've all seen people get saved from dangerous situations in movies and on TV. Well, that's kind of the same thing, except the danger is far worse. Now... The danger that we all live with, every one of us, every day, is this. Until we have been saved, every one of us in this room is in terrible danger. Listen, hear me. I, I'm not being funny. I'm being serious. Every one of us are in serious danger. The question then comes, why? Well, let me give you two reasons. One... Romans 6 or Romans 3:23 Romans 3:23 says that we are all sinners. The Bible says that that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, meaning that God set a standard of perfection and you and I have strove to get there but we have fallen greatly short. I don't care how good of a kid you are. I don't care of how good of an adult you are. I don't care uh, about your, your, your good deeds. The Bible says that we are all sinners. Now, you may not think you're a sinner. You may say, well, preacher, I've seen sinners and I am not one. But everything that we do which violates the law of God is sin such as disobedience, lying, back-talking, cheating, stealing, etc. Did I hit anybody? I hit everybody. All right? You see, the bad things that we do are just the proof of the fact that we are sinners. In truth, we are all born into this world as sinners. Listen to what uh, the psalmist says. The psalmist says in Psalms 58, verse 3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Did you hear that? We come out of mama's womb, a sinner, because of our sinful nature that's passed on from generation to generation. And listen, I didn't have to teach any one of my kids to back talk, lie, or do anything wrong. They just seem to know it naturally. Amen. But what I did have to say to them was, don't do that. That's not right. As a result, Romans 8, 7 says that we are all enemies of God. 
that he loved us while we were yet his enemy. The second thing that we need to understand is, and I talked a little bit about it, but I want to hit you square in the face with it. Because we come out of mama's womb as a sinner, we are all headed to hell. Every human being is headed to hell because of our sinful nature. Our sin separates us from God. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. We talked about this in our Sunday school class this morning. And I said, how sad would it be if, if Paul would have stopped right there? We would all be doomed. And that's the truth. We're all doomed for we're all headed towards hell. This verse tells us that there is a hefty price to pay because of our sin, because of our sinful nature. If we do not come to know Jesus Christ for that salvation, God has no choice but to say, that's your choice, and open the door to hell and let us go. And by the way, He will do that. He doesn't want to do that. But he will not stop us from making the choice to to throw away our lives and throw away the, the gift of salvation and take the eternal separation of hell. You have that choice. Every one of us has that choice. There's some of us here today that need to make that choice. We've heard the truth. And God's been speaking to our hearts and saying, it's time for you to decide. Which direction are you going? You see, thank God for a three-letter word that's found in that verse. B-U-T. And I told my Sunday school class this morning that's a transitional word, meaning that it transitions something from bad to good or good to bad. Go through your Bible and you find the word but, you'll find a transition. Something either bad happening and then it turns to good or something good happening and turns to bad but it's all based on our decision. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You have a choice to choose something besides that death. It's your choice. Which will you take? You see, we're all headed to that place called hell, but God doesn't want any of us to go there. He said he would not that any should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. And I don't think anybody sitting in this room wants to go to hell. I just think that we have been confused on the fact that we need to make that decision before it's too late. You see, he was moved by fear, then he was moved by faith. You see, something's going to move us to realize that we've got to make a decision. It could be fear, it could be love, it could be the cross, it could be a friend, it could be an emotion. But once we're moved, then we have to be moved by faith. For no one is saved by just getting up and walking an aisle. You must have the faith that you put your trust in Christ and what He did for you. Now, It's interesting to note that this jailer did not take the time to secure the prisoners but went running into Paul and Silas and fell at their feet. His first thought was not of securing the jail, but his first thought was securing his soul. 
Many have read this and thought that he was just trying to save his skin. I think he was more interested in saving his soul than his skin. You see, the Bible tells us here that at the midnight hour that Paul and Silas began to sing. Now listen, they had just been beaten. Their backs were, were raw. Their bodies were in pain. Nobody gave them a Tylenol. So they just started singing, started praising the Lord. Now let me just kind of remind you, how did the jailer get there so quickly to realize that the jail doors were open? And how did he say, um, you know, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said to him, you know, believe in Jesus and thou and thy house shall be saved. Well, listen, let me just kind of tell you that there on the jail in the prison was a home for the jailer and his family. And so when, when the jailer woke up and realized what had happened, he ran in and, and fell at the feet of Paul and Silas, but because he had heard through the walls their singing and testifying and praising the Lord throughout the night, the Spirit of God perhaps drawing him to say, listen, that praise, that joy, that grace, that love in the midst of tragedy you can have in your life. Maybe it was out of fear that he came. Maybe it was out of the fact that he had heard and, and was moved by, by their, their praise. But he came in faith. You see, his heart was pricked and, and he experienced a spiritual awakening as well as a physical one. He had probably never given God a moment's thought before that night, but he saw that what he had heard was used of the Lord to open his spiritual eyes. That is how salvation begins in every person of this world. Through the awakening ministry of the Holy Spirit of God, the sinner is made to understand first and foremost that we're all sinners. We all sin. We're all headed for a devil's hell. But we don't have to be. Because Romans reminds us in 6.23, there is a gift from God waiting for those who will receive. This is an act of faith that not only just any faith, but it has to be a specific faith. A faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone is the only faith that can save one's soul. What is He or What is or has God been using in your life to open your spiritual eyes to see that you need His salvation? The second thing that I want you to see is the message led to this particular question. It spoke of a person. Paul points the jailer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is lifted up as the sinner's only hope for salvation. Now, Paul didn't say, listen, if you'll just become one of my disciples and follow me around, maybe you'll get what I got. Nope. Listen, my friends, it's not about what you and I've got that can save them. It's about who we've got that saves them. We've got the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. Jesus is lifted up as the sinner's only hope. This is what the Bible teaches us, and I know that we live in a society that that seeks to find a 
something good in all religions. And perhaps there is something good in all religions. But there's something lacking in all religions except for Jesus Christ. You see, I also know that there are uh, good people in every religion. However, I also know that the only way any person anywhere can be saved is by an ex- uh, receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, you might be saying, well, preacher, isn't that a little exclusive? Aren't, aren't we kind of leaving out other opportunities or other ways? No. Let me just remind you of what John chapter 14, verse 6 says. Jesus telling him about the fact that he's telling his disciples, don't be troubled, I'm leaving, I'm going away. But he said, I want you to know that I am, he said, the only way unto the Father. He didn't say, I am, by the way, guys, I'm one of the ways, but if you hang out, you can maybe find another way, but I'm one of, no, he said, I am the only way to the Father. There is no other. You see, Jesus himself made the statement of this exclusive way. Not me. Not you. Jesus. Jesus said, you can look all you want. You can search the world over. But you'll never find another way apart from me. I know it sounds narrow-minded and exclusive to men these days, but it's what God said. It's what God teaches and I believe it. Now, it really doesn't matter if I believe it or not. God said it, so it's true. You can try any method you please, but Jesus is the only way unto salvation. Now, it spoke of a person, Jesus Christ, but it spoke of a plan. The jailer is told by, by Paul, after he asked this important question, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is to say, he put is to put his faith in Christ in the finished work of salvation that Christ accomplished on Calvary's cross. This is where so many people miss salvation. They cannot grasp the fact that people are saved through faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. Let me give you a story. A man who lives on the second story and lives in an apartment who keeps a a rope ladder in his room just in case there is a fire and he needs to escape quickly. He believes the rope ladder is strong enough to support his weight and that the wooden rungs will allow him to reach the ground safely. He believes that all of that information is stored in his head and he sees it sitting there in the corner by the window just in case. But the reality is, until he opens the window and throws the ladder out, climbs out on it and tests it with his own weight and climbs down to see if he can touch the bottom, he will never truly know. You see, we can have an intellectual faith that says, I know all the facts I know all the answers. I've heard it in Sunday school. I've I've heard it in preaching. I know what, what we must do, but I've never applied it to my life. I've never done it. Then you have a 
head knowledge, but you don't have a heart knowledge. I've said over the last 40 years of sharing the gospel, there are a lot of people who miss heaven by 18 inches. That's the average distance from our brain to our heart. Listen, a lot of people have it in their head, but they don't have it in their heart. You see, it's more than just having an understanding or a knowledge. It's having a faith that is trusting in Christ. And then thirdly, it spoke of a promise. And here's the promise that he made when he asked that question. Thou shalt be saved. He didn't say thou may be saved. and We'll we'll see how it plays out. It was a promise that thou shalt be saved. The word saved again is a glorious word. Remember, I told you that it means to be rescued from harm and danger, to be kept safe. I don't know about you, but I like being saved. If I'm in danger, I want to be saved. And I found out that I was in danger. I was heading to a devil's hell. I was hooked on religion. I found out religion wasn't getting me anywhere. I was still going to hell. I was doing a lot of good things, but I didn't have a faith in Jesus. It wasn't until someone told me that it's not about the the acts or the deeds, it's about the faith and the finished work of Jesus Christ. And then I received the promise. The promise is simple. Believe on Jesus and you shall be saved. That promise is still good today. If your faith is placed in Him, you have His word on your salvation. It's unchangeable. No one can take it away from you. Are you sure that you're saved today? Are you sure that you know that you have put your faith and trust in the the Lord Jesus? You've stepped out and you're standing on? Are you trusting in His word or are you trusting in your own words? The last thing that I want us to see today is the lasting effects of our salvation. The lasting effects of this question, it shows life in such a wonderful way. It showed this man a life of salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 34, look at what happens. And when they had brought him into his house, he set them meat before them, meaning Paul and Silas, They rejoiced, believing in God with all of his house. Now, in verse 34, it tells us what happened after he heard the gospel message. What happened after he put his faith in Jesus Christ and then received the salvation that God gives to all men who believe? Remember, that's how it works. Once we receive the salvation of Christ, there's going to be a visible difference in our life. You see, there was absolutely a visible difference in the life of this man. Look at, if you would, back at the beginning of the text in verse 23. And when they had laid many stripes upon him, they cast him into prison, charging the jailer to keep him safe, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and shackled them. Thrust! 
He wasn't kind. He wasn't gentle. He knew that they had just been beaten, and he threw them in there anyways. Hard-hearted. But yet, verse 34 shows him inviting them into his own home, sitting at his own table, eating his own food. I don't know about you, but that's a difference. You see, there's historical faith has human speculations as its goal or its end. It is simply an intellectual acceptance of facts concerning Jesus' life and work and death. Nevertheless, it comes only from the human mind acknowledging facts, but meaning uh, remaining basically uninvolved with the one who causes those facts to happen. You see, when we have that intellectual faith, we can know all the things, but it just doesn't seem to change us. You see, an actual faith, a saving faith, changes us. This kind of faith is found in the devil and his demons. James reminds us of this when he says this in James 2.19. Oh, the demons believe that. And they even tremble over it. They're afraid of it. But they don't change. They just keep on doing their demon things. You see, there's a lot of folks in this world who say they know Christ, but it doesn't seem to change their behavior. You see, we've got to get out of our heads and into our heart. We all need to exercise faith every day. Each time we flip on a light switch or use a remote control, eat a meal, ride in a car, we do things that need us to have faith. Intellectual faith, that is. However, saving faith is not only knowing and comprehending the facts about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's putting trust in that person and that work of Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. Being saved is nothing more than placing our faith in Jesus Christ for that salvation. It is choosing to trust Him and nothing else to save us. And what does the Bible say? That if He saves us, then He's prepared a place for us. And if He's prepared a place for us, He's going to come again and receive us unto that place where He is, that we can be also. Who among us needs to put our faith not in our head, but in our heart? It showed him a life of service to the Lord. You see, in verse 34, 33 and 34, it reminds us that there has been a difference made in the fact of no longer is he thrusting them, no longer is he, he didn't reshackle them, but he got them up. The Bible says that he cleaned up their wounds and then he brought them to his table and he fed them. I believe this is evident of every true believer that when we get saved and God changes us inside, we start acting on the outside. We start serving 
we look for opportunities to serve him. Now, I'm going to get personal here for a moment. COVID has absolutely disrupted the service of the Lord here at this church. Absolutely. Ministries were shut down. People stopped coming. Classes are no longer because people are not serving. And my friends, the Bible says that if we love the Lord, He has saved us. If we have been called out of darkness into His marvelous light, then we've been called into a life of service. And there are things in this church that need serving hands. So what I'm saying to you is that the church needs you. It needs you to reconsider serving the Lord from the nursery to the senior adults. There are ministries and opportunities awaiting your service. Don't just sit on the sidelines. Serve the Lord. That's what this man did when he got saved. And I could go through the Bible and show you time after time after time of people who who got saved and started serving the Lord. And you say, well, preacher, I served the Lord. There's nowhere in the Bible that it talks about a Christian retiring from service to the Lord. If you want to retire from service to the Lord, stop breathing. It's the only plan. But let me give you a little insight onto that one. When you stop breathing, if you're a believer, you're going to heaven. And guess what? We've been studying heaven on Wednesday nights, and you know what we've been learning? When we get there, we're going to be serving the Lord. You see, there's no retirement plan for serving the Lord. He says, serve me, for I love you, and you're to love me. Here and there. And then here again. So what's the main question? What's the main question that has your attention today? Are you worried about the economy? Are you worried about your job? Are you worried about COVID? Are you worried about this? Are you worried about that? Listen, the main question that every human being needs to ask, what must I do to be saved? And if you're here today and you found the answer is in the the saving grace of Jesus Christ, praise the Lord. Then ask the second greatest question. What must I do to help others find the answer to the most important question? How can I serve so that others will know the love of Jesus? What can I do? Their eternity may depend upon how you answer that question. Your eternity depends on how you answer the first question. What must I do to be saved?
Let us bow our heads and close our eyes. Ron, do you have a song that we might just sing a cappello? Father, we just come before you this morning as we close our time today. Lord, I believe that there are people in this room who have given their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're saved. Their name's been written in the Lamb's Book of Life, for sure. And Lord, many of them have served you in times past, but maybe, Lord, need to get back to serving the Lord. And Lord, may it be that they need to share with others around them what it takes for them to to answer that question, what must I do to be saved? Lord, I pray this morning that for those that are here that have never responded to that question, Lord, they're, they're, they're struggling in their hearts. They've got issues. They've been hurt. They've been questioning. They've been struggling. And they're wondering, God, where are you? Why aren't you fixing this? Maybe they're struggling with, God, I don't even know for sure that I believe you're God. Oh, Father, I pray that you would make that reality a reality in their life. Lord, win them. Show them. Just as Thomas said, I'll never believe until I touch. I'll never believe until I experience it for myself. Lord, help them to believe. Lord, we want to give you praise, honor, and glory for all that you do. Lord, if there's one two or more that need to come to know you today. Lord, stir their hearts even right now as our folks prepare to sing. In the stillness, the quietness, may the Spirit of God speak, not with a loud boom, but with a still small voice. May you draw us out of our darkness into your marvelous light, we pray. In Jesus' name we